Okay, we are learning the Sha'ar HaBitochen, um, which is one of the Sha'arim, one of the gates in the Chayvah Salavavis, the Book of Duties of the Heart. And we did, I think, three Shiurim so far. And then we took a little break for Basi, the Maimer Basi Lagani in honor of Yushvat. And now we're back to Sha'ar HaBitochen, and we're beginning Perik Shlishi, which is the third chapter of Sha'ar HaBitochen. Um, so we learned the Hakdama, we learned the introduction, then we learned the first two chapters. Um, and actually, instead of a, a review, the, in this third chapter, he reviews a number of the points that he discussed in the earlier chapter, so the review is sort of, sort of going to be um, in this new chapter already. He begins Perak Shlishi, the third chapter, with a statement, and that is... Um, that in order to have proper bitachon, he says there's five points that he wants to make, five necessary points, or necessary prerequisites, if you will, in order to have the proper bitachon. Um, one of the things that we've been finding when we're learning through the Sefer is that he, in an organized way, makes lists and uh, numbers things. So he does that tonight, we'll see that a couple of times even, where he talks about five new points. Excuse me here. Okay, and he says the following. He says, Chamisha Hakdamos, five um, more introductions that's necessary for a person who's looking to strengthen and make their bitachon real and powerful. So he says, the first point is, he says that one should believe and it should be clear to him the seven points that we mentioned in the earlier chapter of why Hashem is the only true one in whom we can put our faith. So he's going to run through the seven points that he said in the earlier chapter, though in somewhat of a different order, and bring in some different ideas and different psukim to support them as well. So we're going to go through them. Um, the first thing he says is to remember, a person has to know and think about, that Hashem is mirachim, Hashem is merciful on a person more than any other source of mercy. He's mirachim, yoiser mikol mirachim. And he says, furthermore, even when we feel that other people are having Rahmanis on us, which is a good thing, says that Rahmanis itself comes from Hashem. Hashem causes that others, whether they're family or good friends, and suddenly we feel this outpouring of compassion, that alone Hashem is stirring that compassion in the hearts of others. So that Rahmanis comes from Hashem. We brought the Pasik Viracham of Al Kalmaisov of the Hashem's Rachamim is on all, of his, um, on all of his creations. And here he brings another Pasuk from Pashas Re'ei, where it says, V'nasan l'cha rachamim, Hashem gives you mercy, v'richamecha. So that would seem to be like a double expression. He gives you mercy and will have mercy on you. So the way he explains it here is that when Hashem is directly show, showering His mercy upon us, or stirring other people to have mercy on us as well, these are both forms of Hashem's rachamim. So he says that's number one, to remember Hashem's rachamim. The other thing we have to remember, number two, remember we're going to talk about seven points, which are all the first of the five. Again, it's a little bit confusing. He says there's five ideas. The first idea is to remember seven points. So point two is to know that Hashem really knows what's in my best interest. And He's really, He's more than anyone else, knows what I really need and the best way for me to come to it. And He says that really this is something very logical. He says even in this world, who knows best the needs of anything? You know, put, put Hashem aside for a second. In this world, we talk about who knows the best uh, what, what a table needs or what a chair needs or what a computer needs. Who's the one who knows best what it really needs? The one who made it. 
says the one who made something has the best understanding of what it needs for its safety and for its longevity and for its continuity. And he says, that's even in this world, and he says something very beautiful, very interesting, when, when one makes something, in this world they didn't really make it. Think about it. In this world, we don't, we can't, we're not creators. All we do is we change form. Right? Whenever we say someone made a table, they didn't really make the table. They took wood or metal or glass and they formed it in a certain way. Nevertheless, being that this craftsman is the one who made it, we say, well, if you want to know really the best way to use it, ask the craftsman, ask the one who made it. How much more so? How much more so, he says, when we're talking about Hashem himself, that he really created everything. He didn't just change the form of things. He's the actual creator of everything. Then clearly... Um, he knows best what everything in this world, every single um, creation of this world, and every person, of course, needs. And that's the second important thing for us to remember in our bitochen. Again, point A was that Hashem is the Baal HaRachamim, the merciful one. And point B is that He really, really knows what we need more and better than what anyone else might know. Number three, the third point. And again, this, is all, this was all mentioned in short in last chapter as well. Number three, he says, is to remember that Hashem has power and strength to do whatever He wants. And nothing can get in His way. And that's extremely important to understand. Right? We went through this last time. Even if someone might be very compassionate and love me and, and want my best, but they might not be able to. And here when it comes to Hashem, as the Pasuk says, from Tehillim, Koil asher chafetz Hashem asa. Whatever Hashem wants, He does. There is nothing in this world that can in any way impede, in any way stand up against Hashem's will. And therefore, He says, this is, the, this is point number three of the important points to remember why Hashem is really the one that it only makes sense, the only one that it makes sense to have bitachon in. Number four, He says, is that Hashem not only has compassion and not only has uh, knows what's best for us and has the ability, but Hashem is constantly being mashgiach. He's looking out at everything that's going on. And that He's being mashgiach, He's overlooking everything that's going on in every point and every aspect of creation. And nothing gets forgotten. He says, interesting, He doesn't forget one thing because of another. Right? With us, um, as many of us know, or all of us know, that even when we remember something, but when we're busy remembering something else, the first thing goes out the window because our heads are limited. And with Hashem's hashgacha, with Hashem's um, looking after creation, nothing gets lost. And He's never too busy with one thing in order to think about the other thing. Um, and that's, of course, so important in Bitochem, to know that not only He's merciful, cares, knows, and can, but that He's really actually looking after everything that's going on. And of course, we know, <coughs> excuse me, that hashgacha pratis, the concept of Hashem's individualized uh, looking after everything in this world is a very important concept in Torah in general, and especially in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, who comes, of course, way after the Chovah Salavavitz, many, many years later. But the Baal Shem Tov talked about the fact that Ashkacha Pratis is on every aspect and every detail of creation. Right? Whereas there were some that said it's only on mankind, and some there were different opinions about Ashkacha Pratis. Baal Shem Tov was very strong that Hashem's Ashkacha is on everything and every detail of every creation. Right, famous, uh, famous story, it's become a famous song about the Sadiq who's going in the path and he saw a leaf right, fall off the tree and the Sadiq was wondering why and he was able to communicate and he asked the leaf, you know, what, what happened? Why did you fall off the tree? And the leaf said, you know, the, I just fell off the branch. And the Sadiq asked the branch, the branch says, well, it was windy, so I blew. The Sadiq went all the way back up to Hashem. So why did the wind blow and why did the branch, you know, move and why did the leaf fall? And, and the Sadiq got the, 
he got the communication. He says, pick up the leaf. And he picked up the leaf and he saw there was a little worm laying there. And the worm, it seemed, had cried out to its master. He says, I'm hot. So Hashem says, okay, I'll take care of it. And he had that leaf dropped for that worm to be able to sleep um, in the heat, right? And that idea that Hashem talked about, that even a worm and even every bria, every part of creation, Hashem looks after constantly. But of course, how much more so to a, to a person, to a person and to a yid, someone serving Hashem, without any doubt. So this becomes the fourth point of the seven that he, said, that he wants us to focus on. Number five, he says that nothing can help me or hurt me aside from Hashem. Because there's nothing that can help me. If Hashem doesn't want me to be helped, there's nothing that can help me. If Hashem doesn't want me to be hurt, there's nothing that can, that can hurt me. And that's extremely important that there's no one else. There's nothing else. nowhere else to turn. It's not like Hashem wants one thing, but I'll get a little help from there or someone else is going to hurt me. He says that's an important thing. Hashem is the only source. Um, um, and he says, as to give an, a simple an example, he talks about a, a, a servant who has a master. He says if a servant has a couple masters. A servant has a couple masters, so he doesn't have full faith in one because you never know what the other is going to do. So I'll try to be very friendly with one, but the other might ruin it and so on and so forth. But if you have only one master, so there, you, know, you put all your eggs in the same basket. There's nowhere else to turn. And the same is with Hashem. The true bitachin is that recognition that the only one that has any ability to do anything positive or negative for me, for a person, for anyone, is only Hashem. And that is point number five. Um, there's a very beautiful idea in Tanya where the Alter Rebbe discusses what Chazal say, kol hako'es, anyone who gets angry is ki'ilu ovid avodazara. It's a tough statement, tough phrase. Anger is like idolatry. What does that mean? Why is anger like idolatry? And it's a lengthy idea, but the point is, why do we get angry? Why do we get angry? We get angry because someone hurt me. That's why we're angry. So Dr. Rebbe says, if one has real amuna, nobody could hurt me if I wasn't meant to be hurt right now. Nobody has that ability. If I'm not meant to be hurt, no one in the world can hurt me. So if I'm going to be hurt, that means that Hashem willed it that I should be hurt. Now, not to be mistaken, the person who did it, that did an Avera. But we're not angry at them for doing an Avera. We're angry because they hurt me. Right? And that's what it means. That when someone gets angry, for a moment, their emunah, they had a lapse in emunah. And how could you have done that to me? How could you have hurt me? Means that for a moment, I'm forgetting. If I was hurt, that means I had to be hurt this moment. And all that comes back to this number five. That nothing in the world can hurt me or help me or give anything to me. If Hashem didn't will it to be so. Okay? Number six. Number six is that the goodness of Hashem extended to a person from birth, deserving or not, right? A little baby is born, um, it's not the baby did something right for it. And Hashem's goodness and kindness was with us from the time, from the moment we were born, just out of His chesed, out of His kindness. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, and anyone who... Um, Anyone who's been a little child, or, ha- or even more so, anyone who's had little children knows that our love for, for our little children um, is unconditional. Right? Even if they wake us up in the middle of the night, and even if they make us crazy when we want to go to sleep or want to do anything else, but we love our children. They don't, they don't have to deserve it. Right? A baby doesn't have to do anything to be deserving of love. And that's how Hashem is with us. Now, the truth is, as children get older, also we have to remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. It's not just babies that we have to love unconditionally, but sometimes it gets a little more difficult right? when they're older, so we have more expectations, and sometimes those expectations impede the natural love, and that's something we have to work on. 
But Hashem doesn't have to work in it. Hashem has a down pat. That love that Hashem has that is that He sustains us and takes care of us because He loves us like a parent doesn't get less with time. And that's what he says. That is number six. Remember the goodness of Hashem that sustains us from the beginning um, and, and was always there. And will, that love is always there. And finally, number seven. Let's just quickly say, let's just quickly say these six ideas because seven is going to start a whole different conversation. Um, so the six ideas were to remember that Hashem is the, uh, the merciful one, the most merciful one. Number two is that Hashem knows exactly what we need. Number three is that He's strong and can do whatever He wants. Number four is He's looking after us and every detail of our life. Number five is that no one else can hurt, harm us or help us in any way aside from Hashem. And number six, that Hashem's goodness was unconditional and was with us from the, time, from the moment we were born and before Him. Number seven. And number seven is going to be a very important one and is going to... Um, oh, no, actually not. I, I'm confusing myself. That's a little bit later. Number seven is, he says, that everything in this world has a plan. Everything, every creation. And that plan has exactly how much it's going to be in its quantity and in its quality, in its time and in its place. And nothing is going to change Hashem's plan. It's a very important thing. He says... Uh, it says, Hashem. Nothing is going to ultimately change from what Hashem decreed. Lo bekamos, lo be'echos. Not in quantity, not in quality. Lo bezman, lo be'makom. Not in time and not in place. And he says, we many times think that, oh, something happened and that changed everything. Like something that we weren't expecting it and that happened. And because that happened, everything changed, right? I, I had a work accident and, and my whole life changed or... Or something else, or I won the lottery, and everything, some, suddenly something happened that wasn't expected and it changed. He says, he says, if it happened, it's because it was supposed to happen. Nothing happens and changes the course of things. That happening is what Hashem wants should happen. But I'm confused. Okay. So, when we do our challah bakes, or we say to Hillam, or we down for a four shlema, <coughs> Hashem knows that we're all going to do all those things to adds awesome to that that decree or what? Right, that's an excellent question. Excellent question. The question, in case you're not hearing here in the back, is um, what about when we do mitzvahs or we daven or we do a special for a special zuchus to accomplish something? And there we're told that we have the prop, we have the ability, we have the ability to create through our emunah, through our mitzvah and so on, a special zuchus. So how does that fit into this concept? Um, and that's an excellent question. To be honest, I want to think about it before I answer it properly. Because um, clearly there's two truths here. There is a truth that there's a general picture that Hashem has created the world and knows when a person is going to um, be born and pass away and so on, who's going to marry and be wealthy and poor and so on and so forth. At the same time, Hashem has given us certain abilities um, that through tefillah, through Torah, through a mitzvah, we should be able to affect a certain bracha. Now, in some bigger picture, Hashem knew that in advance also. Everything Hashem knows what's going to be. But He did place that into our, into our hands. So there is some truths over here that we have to probably articulate better how they come together. And I want to, instead of answering off the top of my head, um, give you a better, a well, uh, better answer for that, Mirza Hashem. Very well asked. Um, but going back to what he's saying, he says, so when things happen, he says, when we see a Siba Mishadeshes, Siba means like something happened, a new cause that just happened. He says, Siba Zu, this cause, Hashem created it to happen in order to fulfill what He wants. And here He go, launches off into a very interesting thing. He says, Hashem creates causes, 
But the causes are there to affect what Hashem wants. So the cause is almost like Hashem wants a certain thing to happen. So He gives us this thing in order to cause, it's, it's almost like an excuse. Hashem uses these causes in order to affect what He wants. And He says, if we look around the world, we see things that affect, their effects are so much greater than the cause that affected them. And He says, for example, He uses interesting examples. He says, you have a seed, one little seed of grain, and you plant it. And that can give forth who knows how many stalks of grain. And each one of those stalks have seeds within them that give off again. So that seed is a cause for entire bushels and fields full of grain. How could that be that that one seed has that much power? The answer is, says he, because Hashem wants the grain and the seed is a cause that Hashem said, I'm going to use this cause to bring out what I want. And then he says, same thing as a human being. We look at the, the, um, the amazing body of a human being that's made up of so many, he doesn't even talk about all the things that modern science knows, the millions of cells and whatever, whatever. But he says that all of that, he, that whole human body came, again, from one seed, from one drop. It defies imagination. So this drop caused this great creation. But yes, Hashem uses his causes in order to create what he wants to create. So Hashem creates sibos. Sibos is the word for causes in order to, to reach where Hashem wants to. So whether it's a human being, whether it's an animal, whether it's a field of uh, tevua, he says, all of these are sibos that Hashem puts into the world that are po'el beratzon hakel. They are all there to fulfill the desire, the will of Hashem. And that's how Hashem runs the world. So he causes some type of a business, uh, someone to win the lottery, and therefore that causes, put so many things into effect. Everything, these are sibos that Hashem creates in order to bring about what Hashem wants. So, so how do we actually, like, I, I, I don't know, the first thing that popped into my head when you said causes, because I, I was reading something you say was about a causes climate change, okay? Mm -hmm. So he caused all this climate, Hashem caused this, right? Right. And then, and then how do we know what we're supposed to do about it? Okay, so I don't know if there's not, I don't think there's one answer to that question. Okay. But we are supposed to be smart and we're supposed to learn what we're supposed to do and what's the right thing and do our best, right? Whether it's health issues or, you know, health, health, um, well, sickness, right? If a person is sick, so what do we do? So we just study medicine and the Torah talks about medicine. But these are all shluchim of Hashem, right? You know, famously, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a joke, it's a sad idea, but a person says, so... So how did that person pass away? Well, the heart and the this and that and the other. Or, or Hashem wanted that person to pass away. And this was the cause through which it was done. Right? So we don't believe that the person, wow, that's crazy, that the person had a heart attack, so they died. That was the cause. That was what Hashem used in order for the person to pass away. Um, it's not the sickness that kills. It's the Malachamavas that has a mission and might use whatever it is. Right? And the same is with anything. I'm sorry for using a negative example. It's just something that comes up that comes up all the time. Comes up all the time. That and the same is with bracha. With bracha. Bracha is a bracha because Hashem wanted this person to have a bracha in whatever bracha it is, and therefore caused A and B to meet somewhere and find C and so on and so forth and, and bring about that bracha. But he says all of these are sibos. And therefore he finishes and says that when a person is torud, where torud is bothered and, and um, when a person is anxious because they're trying to bring, make earlier something that Hashem wants to be later. Mm 
or to make more of something that Hashem wants to have less of. He says that is, <laughs> that's, it's a concern and a worry and a bother that comes from a lack of full bitachon in Hashem. And he brings the Pasuk in Kohelis, which is a famous Pasuk from Shlomo HaMelech, L'chol zman ve'es l'chol chefetz tachas ha'shamayim. Everything has its time and everything has its place. And Hashem orchestrates that. And Shlomo HaMelech goes on to say 28 things that each has its time and a place. And amongst them, es l'ledes, there's time for birth. Ve'es l'mus, there's a time of death. Es milchama, there's a time of war. Es shalom, there's a time of peace. All of that is orchestrated by Hashem. And that is the seventh of the seven points that he told us. He says, when a person focuses on these seven points, they have the, the olive bays of bitachon. Right at the beginning, the basics. That, you know, again, Hashem is the Rachman, and Hashem could, and Hashem knows, and Hashem is watching over. Nothing else can help or hurt. Um, Hashem's giving is unconditional. And Hashem ha- has the plan, knows what he's going to do. And therefore, for us to worry about it and try to change that course, he says, that is... This is, this is the beginning. This is number one. Again, so we started off this chapter by saying there's going to be five points. The first point was to remember these seven points. Right? Okay, the, the other four are not going to be as long. Point number two, and this is a drop of a harsh one. He says to know that Hashem looks at us and knows us inside out. In other words, Hashem doesn't just see the external, what we might call lip service. And Hashem knows if we're really boteach or we're not boteach. And he says, just saying that I have bitachon doesn't mean I have bitachon. Bitachon is not a word. It's not a, it's, not a, it's not a concept of saying something. It's a feeling. And he says that Hashem is looking closely at a person to see if they're really boteach b'Hashem. In other words, it's very meaningful to Hashem when we're boteach b'Hashem, when that relationship is real. And therefore, it's something that we have to work on. It's an, which is exactly what we're doing here by learning about it. Because... You know, everyone uses terms like, you know, bitachon and ava and yura and all the wonderful feelings. Feelings have to be um, cultivated. They're not there automatically. And in order for them to be true, they have to be worked on in a, con- in a consistent way, right? We have in davening, we say in the morning, or in the evening, we say a few times, to love Hashem. How? You can't just push a button and start loving Hashem. It's through thinking about Hashem, right? Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad. Think about Hashem. And then, V'yahavtas, Hashem, Elokeinu, brings you to Arava. And the same is with Bitochon. And that's what he says here, that we have to learn about it and think about it in order to cultivate that feeling of Bitochon. One of the ways of cultivating it is speaking about it. Is making it something constant that we, we, th- we, we, we talk about and we think about. And that alone strengthens it. I believe I mentioned in the past then in Tanya, the Altair talks about the word emuna, which means faith, but it also means training. An uman, a craftsman, a trainer is la'amein. Because although we have emuna somewhere in our soul, in order to make that something that's real to us, it's by training ourselves. When we, when we constantly talk about Hashem, and we say Baruch Hashem, and we think about it, that alone keeps that something, makes it alive and makes it more internal. So that's the second point he talks about, that bitachon cannot be something that's merely external, but something that we have to work about, uh, work on to cultivate and make part of us and part of the way we feel. Number three, he says that in order to have real bitachon, and really this has been touched upon also in number one, but he, he points it out as a separate thing, is we have to work on ourselves to remember always that our bitachon is only in Hashem and that everything else is merely... Um, 
shluchim, as merely uh, is emissaries of Hashem. And he says, especially, he says, we, and he goes into, these are, he's constantly come back to us, we talk about business here, he's talking about health. He says, doctors, he brings a very interesting pasuk in Divrei Hayomen, Chronicles, about the king Asa. Asa was one of the kings of Yehuda. He was the, actually the grandson of Rechavam. Those who are with us who are in, in our Navi class might remember that Rechavam was Shlomo HaMelech's son, right? It was in the time of Shlomo HaMelech's son that the kingdom divided to the ten kings and the two kings. Rechavam was the first king of the, of the, of the two kings because he was the son of Shlomo HaMelech. His grandson was Asa, Asa Melech Yehuda, Aleph Samach Aleph. This Asa was a tzaddik. He was a proper, one of the righteous kings, a proper king. Nevertheless, the Pasuk says about something that when he died, and the Pasuk reads, let me say the words of the Pasuk, excuse me, Vegam Becholyo, when he was ill, at the end of his life, Lodorash Es Hashem, he did not seek out Hashem, Ki Berofim, rather doctors. What does that mean? That means that he placed, a, for a person of his stature, it was considered sinful that he placed his trust in the doctors. He wanted to get the best doctors in the kingdom, which is okay, but he put his trust in them. And it was taken very seriously. According to the Mepharshim there in Tanakh, he died from that sickness. He didn't recover. And it had to do with his lack of bitachon in Hashem. Now, obviously, it doesn't have to be said to this, to this crowd of people that that doesn't mean that one shouldn't seek out the counsel of a doctor. We're told the Torah says to go to a doctor. Verapo yurape, to go to a doctor, a healer. We're supposed to, but we're supposed to remember that the doctor is a shliach of Hashem. And therefore, our tefillahs are not to doctors. Our tefillahs are to Hashem that he should send us the right doctor. And ultimately, our thanks is to Hashem when he heals us through the right doctor, who, of course, we thank as well, but knowing that ultimately the bracha comes from Hashem. So he brings um, Asa as an example, um, and he says an interesting, um, almost a little bit of a comical example. I think there's an English phrase that says, um, too many cooks spoils the food, right? Stew. The stew, that is, okay. And he says, that's, he says, whenever in this world, if you hire two contractors for something, it's not going to work out. There has to be one person in charge. He says, how much more so in our bitachon with Hashem. If we hire Hashem and a doctor, and we'll have, we have a shutfus, that I, between Hashem and the doctor, they'll take care of me. He says, this is not going to work. It's like too many cooks. I have to have, understand I have one cook, and that's Hashem, and everything else is tools that Hashem um, will Hashem use in order to help me. So that's his third point, that we cannot ever partner Hashem with anyone else and recognize exactly what's what, where the bracha is from, and what the tool is. Number four. Number four, he says, is that and this is a very obvious and important point. He says, to have bitachon and Hashem, we can't, while we're having bitachon and Hashem, go against Hashem's will and transgress His will. Right? He says, it's the silliest thing if a person is going through whatever situation and say, I have full bitachon and Hashem, but um, I'm not doing the mitzvahs that Hashem tells me. Or in fact, I'm, I'm doing averis against what Hashem tells me. He says, what does that mean about one's bitachon? He says, think about it. He says, Put Hashem on the side for a minute. He says, if you, if you have someone that you want them to do you a favor, anyone, your friend, family member, friend, anyone in a favor, you're not going to, while you're asking them for the favor, go do something that they don't like and do something hurtful to them. So if a person, he says, says, oh, I have all the bitachon, I'm sure Hashem is going to help me, but meanwhile, I, I, I consciously do what Hashem tells me not to do. What I'm saying, there's something inconsistent here. 
Maybe I don't really believe Hashem is going to help me. Maybe I'm forgetting for that moment. But he says, if I want to be true to my bitachon, that means that I am, as I'm placing my bitachon in Hashem, I'm putting more effort into being the type of person that Hashem wants me to be. Now, I know this is becoming a little... <laughs> he's demanding a lot of us, but he's saying, he's saying it is... If we want to be true to ourselves, we're saying, yes, I really believe that Hashem is looking at me and He's really going to help me. Well, part of that is that I'm going to work harder on doing what Hashem wants. And he says that that's really what it says in Pirkei Avos, when it says, Make your will match His will. That He should make your will match His. Right? Which means, simple words, let me, I should do Hashem's mitzvahs because He wants me to if I want Hashem to do what I need. It's a reciprocal relationship. It's a reciprocal. It's a real relationship. He's saying if, if Bitochan is going to be real, then it, it can't just be, I believe he's going to help me, and I'll let him go away and I'm going to do what I want. If, I, if I'm talking about him helping me, that means I'm devoting myself to him more as well. He doesn't say you have to be a tzaddik. But isn't his love unconditional for us? His love is unconditional for us. But if I am right now putting my faith in him that he's going to come through for me in something... Then, and I'm saying, but I'm not listening to you. No, yeah, it was like this. There is an unconditional love of Hashem, that's true. But here I'm trying to go do more than that. I'm trying to uh, put my bitachon on him to be able to see reveal bracha in a certain way while I'm going against him. That's not a keli for bracha, right? Hashem doesn't say I'm ever helping anyone who's not a sadiq. That doesn't say anywhere. And Hashem has given us things, as we said before, when I was a baby, before I did anything. But while I'm asking for help to say, and I'm not listening to you, that's saying I don't really believe in the system, right? Because if I believe in it, just like I believe in a friend, I wouldn't, or a parent, right? Even my parent, my parents love me unconditionally. When I call up and say, you know, can you help me? And by the way, I'm doing something against what you asked me yesterday, I wouldn't do that, right? If it's real and there's a real relationship that I'm working on, I'm not going to hurt that relationship while I'm trying to make it work. That is number four. And finally, number five. Okay, and this is the one that I want you to, this is going to open up a new conversation. So let's quickly run, run over the four ideas. Number one of the, of the, I'm sorry, the five. Number one of the five was to remember the seven points of Bitaha. Why Hashem is the one that we're, that the only one that's really worthy to be Boteach in. Number two was to know that Hashem is looking at me and knows if my Bitochan is truthful. Number three was not to partner anyone else in my Bitochan to Hashem. It's not Hashem and the doctor. Number four is that if I'm putting my trust and hope and faith in Hashem, I'm also trying to be a better Eved Hashem so that it's a real two-way relationship. And then it comes to number five. And number five, I know something that we've been waiting for and has come up in the classes more than once. And that is, he says, something very important to understand. And that is, everything in this world comes from Hashem. Everything. But, there's two ways how Hashem gives His bracha to this world. <clears throat> One way, he says, is when it's direct and clear. Direct and clear, Hashem is giving bracha. And the other way is when Hashem is giving it through, and again we come back to that word, sibos, through various causes. And we might need to create those causes through which Hashem is going to give us His bracha. 
And that, this is going to lead into the big thing that might, some people call hishtadlos or whatever you're going to go, there's so many different names for it, where on the one hand, we've been learning all about bitachon, it comes from Hashem, I trust in Hashem. On the other hand, all of us know that we are required to do our part to receive bracha, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whatever bracha it is, we have to work on it. And that's what he's going to launch off into right now. And that is that we know that Hashem gives and whatever is going to come comes from Hashem. And yet he says there's two ways, two channels of divine hashpa, of divine bracha. One is direct um, and you don't have to create mediums or anything that should bring that bracha in. And one Hashem says, I'm going to give you that bracha, but you're going to have to do ABC through which that bracha is going to come to you. Now, um, the Mepharshim, the commentaries, give some very sim- oversimplified examples. One is the difference the way Hashem sustains animals or trees versus the way He sustains people. Right? Think about it. There's millions, billions of animals and insects and different things in the world that are all alive. They don't go out to work. They don't have a nine-to-five job. Right? So they're, they're, they're taken care of and they're alive. Right? And the trees and the vegetables. And, you know, there's so much that Hashem sustains just directly. He says, that's on me. I take care of them. When it comes to human beings, Hashem says, I'm taking care of you guys too, but you're going to have to work for a living. And we'll discuss why soon. But that's what Hashem says. So some of Farshim here on the, on, the, um, on the Shara B'tacha say that that's a very simple way of distinguishing. The way Hashem deals with all the other creations by just taking care of them and not making demands on them to do things to take care of themselves in general. And a human being, the way it works is you're, we're going to have to work on this. Right? That's one. Other Mepharshim say, even in the human story, there are brachas that we receive without doing anything for it. Mm-hmm. Right? There are brachas that we just, and, and, you know, on a simple level, even a person um, just was walking down the street and just uh, finds a treasure. And they become rich. Right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes Hashem says, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to do anything for this. You're going to find a bracha. Treasure is, of course, only one extreme example, but there's many brachas that we're recipients of just because that's how I have it. That's how it is. And many brachas, Hashem says, no, I'm going to give that to you, but you're going to have to work for it in one way or another. So he says, this is a very important thing to understand, that Hashem gives to this world in two forms. In a direct way that doesn't ask for anything, it doesn't require anything, it's just Hashem taking care. And the other way that Hashem gives to this world, uh, which is no less directly from Hashem, is that Hashem says, you're going to have to work for it, again, in, in, way, in whatever way, and depending on what bracha we're talking about, and through that, you will be recipient of that bracha. He says, for example, there's some things where we see that very, very, in, again, very sim- simple way. He says, even when we have food, Hashem, let's say Hashem gives, let's say we would find food on our table. We still have to take it in our hand and eat it. So someone say, because I have to take it in my hand and eat it, it didn't come from Hashem? No, Hashem gave it to me and He says I should eat it. Sometimes we also have to prepare it. We have to cook it. Sometimes we have to go out and get it from the field. Sometimes we have to make money in order to buy it. It's just another Siba and another Siba and another Siba, another cause and another cause, in order to receive the bracha that Hashem wants to give us. But ultimately, again, just like everyone understands, He says, that the fact that I have to pick something up in my hand and take it to my mouth doesn't mean that I'm the source of this because I was given something, but it's up to me to pick it up and take it, the same is if I have to cook it. And the same is if I have to go to the store and buy it. It's just going back another step further, or one more step that I have to do in order to acquire that bracha that Hashem has given for me. 
Now, when we talk about food and sustenance, which is, of course, a big thing in all of our lives, sustenance, right? Uh, parnasa, a job, food, which is house and clothing, everything that we buy and everything that we need. So perhaps the best example, and I'm going to, he doesn't talk about this direct point that I'm talking about now, but it's the same idea. When we uh, started out as a nation, for the first 40 years of our existence as a nation, we lived totally off Hashem's revealed bracha. Right? That was the month. Right? Which is actually the, uh, in the parsha that we're doing this week, Latin, B'Shalach, Yisro, we're learning the parshas of the Jewish people in the Midbar, in the desert. Um, and in last week's parsha, B'Shalach, is when we were given the gift of man. Which means that for 40 years, nobody needed, no, nobody needed a job. No, because food was taken care of, clothing was taken care of, according to the Medrash. And we have what's called lechem min hashamayim, food from heaven. By the way, the bracha that they made on the man was baruch Hashem al-Khalam, borei lechem min hashamayim, or hamotzi, hamotzi lechem min hashamayim. That's what they made, uh, because that's where it came. It wasn't hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz, right? So, for 40 years, we got the best, um, the best uh, classes or the best education for bitachon which is every night you go to sleep, tomorrow Hashem will take care of you. It was wonderful. And then we graduated and came into Eretz Yisrael, and suddenly, lechem min ha'aretz. You want food, you're going to have to work for it. Right? So we had 40 years of, of just living off bitachon, and then started the real life. Right? The life where we have to work in order to receive what we have to. It's interesting to note, though, that even in those 40 years, they did have to do some work for their food. For example, they had to walk out to, uh, to pick it, Right? It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't in their tents. It says, Shatua Amvaluktu, they walked out, they walked out of the tents somewhere further away from the camp and they had to pick it. Then they had to bring it back, they had to cook it, they had to make it. Right? Excuse me. So it's not as if there was no, there was no work on their part. Hashem gave them a gift, but He says, but you're still going to have to do something in order to make that food and bring it home and give it to your family and eat it. So there was always had to be some human um, involvement. And Hashem could have just made a nace that they should all wake up in the morning and they're full already. Right? You don't have to do anything. It's there. It's in you. you know, IV for, for 40 years. But no, He wanted that we should do something because He was teaching us a lesson. And the lesson is, even when you work for it, you see it's coming from heaven. Even when you walk out and pick it up, you realize it didn't start from when you picked it up. It started from when I showered it down from heaven, and you're going to walk out and pick it up. And those 40 years were training for us to understand that, yes, nowadays we don't just have to walk out and pick it. We have to walk to our business and do the job. But still, it's lechem min hashamayim that I'm giving you through the sibos, through these causes through which I am going to sustain you. So that, he says, is the fifth, that's point number five. We started off tonight by saying there's five points. Point number five was, the, the, he says, the clear understanding that Hashem gives, sometimes direct, sometimes through sibos, sometimes through more sibos. Sometimes there's more effort on our part. But it's all a question of how much effort we have to expend. The bracha is not from the effort. So he's going to ask now the obvious question. Why? If Hashem is giving it anyway, so why does he require those sibas? Why doesn't he sustain us like he sustains the animals of the, of the wild? He just, why do we have to go out to work? Why can't we just you know, do things that we'd rather do? 
and, and not have to work and not have to worry about any of these things. If anyways, it's from him. So he asks this big philosophical question right here. Why did Hashem make that we need these reasons and these causes in order to do what we have to do? You know, in order to receive the brachas that Hashem wants to give us. And he says that there's two answers to this question. <clears throat> the first answer, he says, is that Hashem does this, simple words, in order to test us. Meaning, that it's not perfectly clear to us that our bracha is always coming from Hashem. And therefore, how are we going to look at it? And how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to start believing in ourselves that we are the ones who's going, who are going to accomplish our bracha and what's up to my koach and my wisdom and so on and so forth and forget about Hashem in the process? Because after all, I'm making a living myself. Hashem is not helping me. I'm doing it on my own. Or are we going to be able to see through it and recognize that everything we do is only in order to receive Hashem's bracha and therefore go about the Torah ways in order to receive that bracha and not lie or steal or cheat or anything like that because we recognize that the bracha comes merely from Hashem. In other words, to understand this idea a little better, this is really the answer to why everything in this world is in a way that godliness is concealed. Right? The world itself, what's the Hebrew word for world? Is olam. Olam means hidden, helen, hidden. Hashem in this world hid, hid himself in order so that we should find within ourselves and in the world around us godliness. But the way that Hashem created this world is that, this, that godliness is not readily apparent. There isn't miracles and wonders happening when we walk out on the street every day. It's a world of helen. It's a world that it's up to us to find and to recognize and to learn and to understand how it's a godly world. And that goes, that's exactly what we're learning about here when we talk about Sibos. Hashem could have forever given us the mun every day. If he could do it for 40 years, he could do it for 6,000 years. Why not? But then the whole point of our avoda, of illuminating, of bringing godliness into a world where godliness is concealed would be lost. Our neshama is called a candle. Neir Hashem nishmas adam, we say in Tehillim. What's the idea of a candle? To illuminate. Hashem creates a world, a world of concealment, and sends us in with our neshamas to illuminate the world and to be able to see through the guise, the, uh, the, um, the mask over the godliness that exists in everything that happens. Um, I think in the past, maybe even last week, we talked about the word for nature, Teva means to also to be covered over, to be drowned, like we had in last week's parsha. Tu that the Mitzrayim were covered over in the sea. Godliness is covered over in this world, and therefore bracha that comes from Hashem comes through natural garments, and the natural garments is going out to work. The natural garments is getting a doctor when one is sick. The natural garments is all the various sibos that we create to be vessels for Hashem's bracha. That is number one. Right? He asked the question, why do we have the Sibos? Why doesn't Hashem just bless us openly and reveal? Why isn't there mun falling? The answer is, because that's our job in life in general, to be able to find Hashem through the concealment of, of, the nat of, of nature and through the various different concealments of this world. That's his first answer. Number two. The second answer, the second of two, he said there's two answers of why Hashem gives us, why we do have to work, why we do have to do so much effort and ishtadlos and everything. And here he says something very interesting, a little bit harsh. 
He says, if we were to receive everything in a silver platter, we would be a bunch of spoiled children. <laughs> he, says, he says people would be sinful and people would be spoiled and people would be lazy. In other words, he says the fact that Hashem makes us work for a living and the fact that Hashem makes us take care of things and do whatever we can is Hashem's bracha to make us industrious, accomplishing, um, mature human beings. He says human nature is that if one is a recipient, only a recipient, you know this from, from child you know, upbringing, just give a child everything and don't make, them, don't make them make their bed and don't make them clean their room and don't make them do anything because I love my child so much, I'm killing the child. I'm hurting the child. And we are all Hashem's children. And of course Hashem wants to give us bracha, but Hashem wants us to grow up. Hashem wants us to be people who are, who are productive people. And people who know that we have to work for things and do things and accomplish things and don't feel have that entitlement of I wake up in the morning and, and the man is going to be there for me. And it's a very beautiful idea. Um, you know, the Rebbe expands on this idea and he says that, that Hashem in His kindness by making us work for a living and not just work for a living, making us whatever we want, we have to work on. If we want to have a beautiful room, we have to work on beautifying it. Whatever we do in this world, we have to create is Hashem's greatest kindness to us by making us partners with Him in everything in this world. Because whatever we make, we partnered in making it. Of course, the bracha comes from Hashem, but I put in my two cents too. Hashem gives us flour, but we have to make it into bread. So who made the bread? Well, it was a partnership, Hashem and me. You know, who, who built this house? Well, Hashem gave all the materials, but He said, we're going to have to build it if we want it. So in Hashem's telling us that you are going to have to create sibos, causes and ways and vehicles, what Hashem did is He empowered us. He made us part of the system so that we are called a shutaf, like a partner to Hashem in creation by Him demanding of us involvement in whatever bracha or most of the brachas that we receive. And this is the second idea, the second idea that He leaves us with. So though in article number five of tonight, He was very strong about the idea that we have to remember that everything comes from Hashem. Something's direct and something through Sibos, but now he explained why we need those Sibos for those two reasons. First of all, because it's the way of Hashem in this world that He is concealed, and that allows for us to make the decisions and find Hashem and choose Hashem, like Bechira, Bechir, Becharta, Bechaim. We're told to choose Hashem. If Hashem would be revealed in our face every day, we wouldn't very well choose Hashem. He'd be there. But when Hashem is concealed, we have the ability to choose. And by making us work, that makes us stronger and more powerful um, and partners with Hashem and everything in our lives. And then he says, however, he says sometimes there's people that are on a, such a spiritual level as such tzaddikim that they don't need these two reasons. Because they, they see Hashem, they see right through it, and they're going to be productive anyway. They, they don't... They don't need these two sibos. They don't need these two reasons. He says sometimes there are people, tzaddikim, that Hashem just takes care of them without any ishtadlis. He says a person might be on that level that they don't need anything because these two reasons don't apply to them. And he brings psukim that there are some people that Hashem just says, I'm taking care of you. You could learn Torah, you do whatever it is because Hashem is taking care of that person. Reb Shimon Bar Yuchai, one of the great tzaddikim, the author of the Zohar, says in the Gemara, he says, why do people go to work? I don't understand. He says, learn Torah all day and daven. So in the Gemara, Rabbi Yishmol, another one of the sages said, but <laughs> how are you going to support your family? So he says, 
if you serve Hashem on that level, Rabbi Shimon Archai says, Hashem will support you, you don't have to lift a finger. The Gemara says, that, don't try this at home. The Gemara says that, that very few people are on that level that can do that like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Most people have to follow Rabbi Yishmael's way. But the concept, the concept is true, that there could be someone who doesn't need these two reasons because they're on the level that they're not going to be a spoiled child. They're not going to be like that, that um, you know, person who's not productive and so on and so forth. And, and for them, says the Chobos HaLavavos, possibly, they don't need that level of Ishtabas. Which is going to lead to his next question. He says, but, he says, sometimes we see big tzaddikim that suffer terribly and don't receive Hashem's bracha. Sometimes we see wicked people that they seem to be getting all the bracha. How does that play itself out? And for that, he launches off into the next part of the chapter, but we're going to leave that for next Stay week. Stay tuned. <laughs> Can I ask a couple of questions? You may. Okay.